Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The Don't Stop Me Cause I'm Having a Good Time. I'm Having a Good Time edition as the Bengals look to grab sole possession of first place in the AFC North as they battle the Baltimore Ravens on Sunday at Paul Brown Stadium. Coming up, I'll talk to Peter King from NBC Sports about Joe Burrow, Zach Taylor, and what the two of them are building in Cincinnati. My one-on-one player interview is with Tyler Boyd, who is savoring the first December playoff chase of his NFL career. Dave Lapham joins me to discuss the Bengals' injury situation and what it's going to take to sweep the regular season series from Baltimore. And finally, in our Know the Foe segment, we'll get the scoop on the Ravens from former Baltimore linebacker-turned-media member Brad Jackson. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play, next-level fantasy football game. Downloaded now from the App Store and Google Play, and here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since a gas fireplace. When we moved into our home in Cincinnati, the family room included a gas fireplace, and when the weather turns cold, it's fantastic. With a flick of a button, it heats the room up in a matter of minutes and looks great with orange-yellow flames that dance around realistic-looking logs. And that's with minimal cleanup, no smoke, and no need for firewood. So, here's to having a gas fireplace, especially when it comes with a house. Now, let's get to this week's guests, beginning with a three-time National Sports Writer of the Year who covered the Bengals for the Cincinnati Inquirer in the 1980s. One of the highlights of my week is sitting down on Monday morning with a big cup of coffee and Peter King's weekly labor of love, the football morning in America column. And Peter, you were here in Cincinnati a couple of weeks ago for a firsthand look at the Bengals for their overtime loss against the 49ers. What were a couple of your biggest takeaways from seeing this team in person? Dan, as you know, uh, as somebody who's around this team a lot and who lives in Cincinnati, there's a... uh, there is a natural skepticism about the Bengals anytime they get good. Um, there was a skepticism, you know, when Carson Palmer started to play well early this century. Uh, there was a skepticism around Andy Dalton, but, you know, they both played well and they both really lifted this franchise uh, to heights that they hadn't seen since the boomer days, really. And you know, I, I think I think there might be one different thing now with Joe Burrow and the Bengals, and that is that uh, there's something about Burrow. You know, in my column a couple of weeks ago, I called him Machine Gun Burrow. I, I I'd like to see Burrow of the fourth quarter against the 49ers for four quarters uh, consistently, and he hasn't done that yet, but. I think he will in time, uh, but I think the Bengals have themselves uh, a guy who's going to turn out to be a consistent top five, top 10 quarterback in the NFL for years, as long as they can keep him healthy. And that was my one overriding take. But the other real difference to me is that, you know, and I was talking to Mike Brown about this uh, a couple of days before the game. And that is, 
they have such a good rotational defensive front. You know, when you can go in, I thought one of the underrated trades that any team made this year uh, was the Bengals trading a guy they really had no interest in keeping, Billy Price, for B.J. Hill with the Giants. That, to me, was a terrific trade because I watch a lot of football, and I say, B.J. Hill is a really good, usable player. And you put him in there for 20 to 25 snaps a game, you're going to get some havoc being wrought. And, you know, obviously the big name is Trey Hendrickson, and he's been fantastic. But I think it is the depth on that defensive line that has given teams fits and I think is going to lead one of the things that's going to lead the Bengals into the playoffs. Well, it's a really good point because we chatted before the season, Peter, and you expected the Bengals to be a really exciting team that scored a ton of points but had to win games like 38 to 35. And as it turns out, the defense is top 12 in the league in points allowed. Has that been a big surprise to you? Very big surprise because, look, when I looked at the Bengals before this year, I saw three excellent receivers a guy who was unafraid to throw it all around the lot, and then a defense that was very iffy. I saw the uh, 80s slash early 90s San Diego Chargers, and they have become a much different team than that, uh, I think because of their defense. And I think their defense is really what's going to separate them going down these last three games. We're visiting with Peter King from NBC Sports. You also visited with Zach Taylor when you were in town a couple of weeks ago, the day before that game. How have you seen him grow and evolve in his three years as an NFL head coach? I think one of the things that, and I talked to Zach about this, that I don't want to make this too dramatic or too different, really, but Zach Taylor's a better coach when he's got a quarterback. That's all there is to it. And you look right now at, to me, some of the really good coaches in the NFL. I mean, let's just look at the last two years. How was Bill Belichick last year when he didn't have a quarterback? And no, no offense to Cam Newton, but I think his best days are over. Um, and, and, you know, they went seven and nine without a quarterback last year. I think it's very, very hard in today's game when you, no matter how good a coach you are, I think Matt Rule, I mean, look, I'm probably going to be a laughing stock for saying this. I think Matt Rule is a top 10 coach in the NFL, period. I think he's tremendous. And what has happened to him over his first year and three quarters, you know, he has really, really stumbled when, you know, when they've had to rely on their quarterback to win games, whether it's Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Darnold, or Cam Newton. So that's a long way of saying, essentially, about Zach Taylor I think every coach is going to be better when they have a quarterback that gives them a chance. And look, after the game I saw, Dan, one of the things I thought that was really interesting is that is the heat that Zach Taylor took for his play calls, you know, in putting the ball in Joe Mixon's hands right at the end instead of putting it in Joe Burrow's hands, okay? Uh, and I thought at the time, and I think everybody thought at the time, you know, not really great play calling. I applaud Zach Taylor for standing up after the game, basically saying it's going to be hard to sleep thinking about those calls. And so 
he understands that he's still learning as a, as a head coach and as a coach, period. I like him. I think he's good, and I think his players play really hard for him. Uh, I, I'm, I'm bullish on his future. When you covered the Bengals for the Inquirer many years ago, Boomer Esiason was the quarterback. See any parallels between Joe Burrow and Boomer? Fearlessness, but, and again, I don't know Joe. You know, I, I really don't. I've talked to him a few times, but I, I don't know him at all, really. But the thing I like about him, I'm reminded of the game he played uh, his senior year at, or his last year at LSU against Alabama when he just came out firing. And I remember after the season, I asked Joe Brady about that, uh, who at the time was his offensive coordinator. And he goes, Joe is not the kind of quarterback who needs a few completions to get him confident. You know, he, he just comes out firing. So I think, I think the, 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 the same thing is they, Boomer really had tremendous confidence. You know, he played in an era with Joe Montana and Dan Marino, and Boomer was not apologetic. He thought he was absolutely in their league, and, and you know, if you gave him truth serum, he'd say, I'm better than those guys. And I think in a lot of ways, that's what you need to have at that position. What I sense from Burrow is that he believes no quarterback is better than he is. He's not going to say it, but he believes that deep down. And I think that's the way he plays the game. Fourth down to make that incredible throw to Jamar Chase, trolling the back of the end zone where, you know, he's, he's three blades of grass from being out the back of the end zone. And somehow, some way, you know, scrambling around, running for his life, Burrow finds him and he throws him a dart and it's a touchdown. I mean, I think you can count on about three or four fingers, the players in the NFL who can make that play with the understanding that the entire game was on the line on that single play. One game separates first place from last place in the AFC North with three games to go. How do you assess the race as we head into this three-game stretch? I think what is really interesting about the race is that, you know, I, I look at the playoff race everywhere and I just look at the schedules. And look, I, I think in order to win this division, uh, the Bengals have to go two and one. And those two better be Baltimore and Cleveland. Um, and look, winning at Cleveland in a game that the Browns probably are going to need uh, to have any hope to make the playoffs. That's just my guess sitting here right now. And so that leaves the one other game. Oh, by the way, the, only, the team with the best record in football, Kansas City. So that's, that is a really rough schedule. And, <clears throat> you know, look, you just don't have to be a genius. The Bengals have to go minimum two and one. Uh, and again, as I say, the two had better be the division games because this could well come down. The division could well come down to a tiebreaker. Peter, you seem pretty nostalgic on your trip back to Cincinnati a couple of weeks ago. You visited your first house in, in Mount Washington. How did Cincinnati shape you as a young football reporter? I'm the luckiest man on the face of the earth that that was my first job in covering football because for many reasons. Number one, you know, I lived on the bottom floor in a dormitory at Wilmington College with 
which was the player's dorm. Caddy corner across the hall was Mike Brown, a lot younger in those days, 37 years ago. Um, and then next door to him was Paul Brown. Now, Paul Brown didn't stay in the dorm, I don't think, very many nights, but he was there. I saw him in his room a lot. Sam Weich down the hall, he said, anytime you need anything, anytime you have any questions, meetings are done about 9.30 or so, just come knock at my door. It's just... It's just a different time covering the NFL. But half the practice is that summer in training camp, I watched with Paul Brown. I, and it just was, it was, it was amazing. It was an amazing education. And, and I think to have a team that, I mean, nobody now looks at them like that as a wide open franchise or anything like that. Everybody looks at the Bengals as being this secretive KGB team. I mean, at the time, you know, when I covered them, it was the greatest time to be covering the NFL and uh, the education I got doing it uh, was really terrific. So I really owe a lot to that year. Um, and then, you know, when I left there and went to New York to cover the Giants, I think I was really prepared because I'm a competitive person. I was prepared to uh, go and, and compete in that market, covering a team that a year later would win the Super Bowl. So, um, yeah, I had pretty, uh, pretty great formative years, you know, and just the opportunities that I had. Peter, Merry Christmas to you and your family. Congratulations on your third grandchild, Peter, born a week ago today. And thanks so much for your time. We always appreciate it. I really appreciate it, Dan. All the best to you. Merry Christmas to you and to everybody in your audience. One of the most amazing things statistically about the Bengals through 14 games is how Joe Burrow has distributed the ball to the Cincinnati three-way of Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, and T. Higgins. Chase has 61 catches, Boyd has 60, and Higgins has 59. As Dave Lapham pointed out this week, if you take one catch away from Chase and give it to Higgins, all three would have 60 receptions. Chase is headed to the Pro Bowl as a rookie. Higgins recently had three straight 100-yard games, and Boyd was the offensive star last week in Denver. I spoke to Boyd in this week's one-on-one -on -one player conversation. Tyler, I am so happy for you and Joe Mixon and Sam Hubbard and Trey Hopkins, guys who have played their hearts out when the Bengals weren't in contention, and now you're playing huge games in December. Does a playoff hunt make your body feel better? Absolutely, you know, and, and, and it makes your mental feel better, you know, because it's, it's you're, you're out there doing it for a reason, you know. Later, usually at this time, you know, we we, we knew that we wasn't playoff contenders, and we were just just trying to uh, get by, you know. But now that we're actually playing for something that's more meaningful, and guys are buying in, and uh, we don't want to let each other down, then it, it, it makes us want to want to play even harder. We're chatting with Tyler Boyd. You had a gigantic game last week in Denver. Five catches, 96 yards, including the 56-yard touchdown that won the game. Three of the five catches came in crucial situations where the Bengals had to have it. It reminded me a little bit of that game in Atlanta several years ago where you had two fourth-down catches and a big third-down catch on the game-winning drive at the end. Is that the best feeling in the world when the game is on the line and your quarterback is looking for you? Always, you know, but again, uh, I've always been that guy uh, that came through in the clutch, you know, in third downs and fourth downs, you know, because um, 
I, I just, I just, I just uh, do a good job of, of winning my routes, you know. And then the quarterbacks trust me, and and they know what we have when when it, when, it, when we break the huddle on the defenses line up in a certain way. But uh, in any given moment of the field, every time uh, third third down or it's crucial time, I mean that's when uh, the stars shine the most, the, the uh, brightest, you know. And I always want to be the guy uh, when my number is called. I want to make. Each and every play, you know, regardless of what the situation is. But on the big situation, is always uh, the best feeling because that's when uh, it shows you what type player you are. You were mic'd up for sound last week. You probably forget about it during yeah, the game. But then, but then at the end of the game, when it's a great game, are you excited to, to go back and listen to the sound? Absolutely, because uh, I remember being told I was going to be mic'd up, but I, I didn't get the refresher going out there. <laughs> So I didn't get to warn guys, but it, I don't think it was nothing going on crazy. But, yeah, it's always fun, especially uh, the guy that's being mic'd up, um, that's having a big game, you know, and see how his his emotion is and uh, how amped up he is, you know. So I think I think I, I had good stuff on there. We're chatting with Tyler Boyd. This is your second year with Joe Burrow at quarterback. Do your wide receiver buddies around the league ask you about Joe? And if so, what do you say? Uh, I think Joe, Joe gets so much respect around the league. You know, every guy – Every team uh, has so much respect for him and, and know what he's capable of, you know. Um, his numbers speak for it all. Uh, he's a sound player. He's smart. He gets, gets us in the best situations possible every time, you know. And, uh, I mean, guys don't really ask too much because they know, you know. It's, it's like he's almost as of a Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady level of respect, you know, but not quite there yet. But um, just feeling him go out there and just knowing he can just take over a game at any given moment, you know, it's scary for, for, for any team. So I think the whole league respects him. It doesn't seem that long ago to me where you were the youngster in a wide receiver room with guys like A.J. Green and Brandon LaFell. Now you're the vet with more than 80 games of NFL experience under your belt. Does that change anything for you? Not really. Just only uh, in terms of my leadership my, uh, because I, I didn't seen it all. You know, I can, I can help guide guys down the right path because I, I haven't been through it all. You know, I've been through uh, having a great season. I've been through a season where I felt like I wasn't a part of it. I didn't feel like I was wanted, things like that. But, uh, I, I, I mean, I've had to deal with fighting adversity my whole life, you know. So just being able to be that guy, the vet court guy who's been there and done it and seen it in every perspective from the practice squad, to not playing in games, to being active, to being a guy, a core guy in the offense, you know. So uh, I, I could give so much intel to uh, the younger guys and guys who's still waiting on the opportunity to just uh, stay the course and just work. You know, so um, I think I do a good job of just keeping guys up and motivating them and wanting to be here. You dominated the first meeting 41-17. to 17. Joe Burrow had 416 passing yards at the end of the third quarter. Does that mean anything this Sunday? Um, just depending on how they want to come out and play us. You know, I knew Joe was going to have a huge game because uh, their, de- well, their defense is structured based off um, a lot of blitzing and, and one-on-one because they trust their corner. They have real talented, talented corners, so they can do that. You know, but um, we, we, we believe in our guys, too. We feel like we got the best weapons, and if teams want to man us up, I think that's when we have our best games. That's when our uh, receivers can catch the ball and, and make a play. You know, but um, we, we always go out there expecting uh, Joe to have a huge game, you know, no, no matter what. Even last week, I, I, I felt like he had one of the best games, you know, despite him not having a yardage, you know, just all the little things of him creating plays with his legs, you know, just keeping us manageable and downs and just getting us first downs when guys wasn't open and they, and they played us played well in the back end, you know. So um, he, he always uh, figures a way to, 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 to keep the ball rolling, to, to, to move the chains. Last thing for Tyler Boyd, 
on Christmas morning, there are a bunch of kids that are going to get up, they're going to rip open their package, and they're going to see a Tyler Boyd jersey, new Bengals jersey that they had on their wish list. Do you ever think about stuff like that? Absolutely. You know, it's so, so, much, it's so inspiring to me uh, to know kids is, is looking up to me and uh, care about me that much, you know, to want to ask their parents for a Tyler Boyd jersey. Because I was once a kid, you know, asking for a certain players' jerseys, in particular uh, LaDainian Tomlinson. That was, that was my, my guy. You know, I loved him. I had probably all, all different colors of his jerseys, you know. So I know the feeling of, of how excited kids be wanting to get their, their favorite players' jersey. But it's just an awesome feeling now that um, kids want to uh, want my jersey, you know, because I didn't been, been through that. And it's just, just, just an awesome feeling. Merry Christmas. Best of luck on Sunday and the rest of the year. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play fantasy football game. Ultimate Bengals will be awarding a weekly winner during the course of the season with tickets, autographed merchandise, and money-can't-buy experiences all up for grabs. Find Ultimate Bengals in the App Store and Google Play. Now, time for my weekly chat with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Lappin, your 10 years as an NFL player, there were years where the Bengals were in contention, highlighted by the 1981 Super Bowl run, and there were years where you had no chance at this time of the year. Can you describe the impact of being in the hunt in such a physically demanding sport? Yeah, it's um, actually it's thrilling, you know, being in the hunt. It, it, um, it makes it all worthwhile, you know, all the all the physical and mental anguish that can go along with playing the game of football. Um, that's why it's, it's so tough to, to keep grinding when you're out of it. I mean, that's, that's a tough dynamic. It's, it's very easy to, to get yourself ready to play. Uh, when you go to bed at night after the football games, you're not as sore. When you wake up the next morning, you're not quite as sore. Um, you, you just, you're excited about the game plan coming up. You can't wait to get the game plan coming up. You do extra, you know, and, and to prepare yourself to play in that football game. It's just the, the ripple effect in a positive way is very, very good, and the ripple effect in a negative way when you're out of it is you're always fighting to try to do everything you possibly can. You know, you know that you're getting paid to play. You know you're being evaluated. Uh, you don't want to be labeled a front runner. You don't want to be labeled a guy that, oh, yeah, he plays well. He plays hard when they're – in the hunt, but man, he's a dog when they're not. That to me was um, as big a motivation as anything. Mm. I didn't want to have tape out there where people could even think about saying, "Oh man, look at look at this guy dogging it," you know, because they've only won three games or whatever the case might be. That was a big motivator to me. Didn't want to be labeled a dog. Mm. So this is year two of the Joe Burrow era. This team won four games and tied one a year ago. Do you look at the Bengals essentially being a year ahead of schedule? Honestly, yeah. I mean, I, when everybody says, you know, before the season, what do you think, you know, what do you think best case scenario? And my best case scenario, I had them winning seven or eight games, you know. that was, And they're there. They've already, they've already hit my high water mark. So I'd have to honestly say that, uh, you know, I, I would say that they're, they're ahead of schedule. I mean, they get off to that five and two start was – was really pretty pretty dynamic and um thought man they may be way ahead of schedule and you know there's peaks and valleys ebbs and flows to every season but i do think that some of the young players are playing a 
beyond and above and beyond their experience level, you know, and, and that's a tribute to, to them, guys coaching them, um, support staffs, whatever they may be, and that's at every level, you know, and, and people think, ah, yeah, that's, that's just, that's trite. It's really not. I mean, to get through a season, you need the training staff. You need the strength and conditioning staff. You need everybody. And um, so everybody shares in the successes and everybody shares in the failures. There's no doubt. They won a road game last week against a team that had a winning record with Fred Johnson at right tackle. And for the most of the game, Jackson Carmen at right guard. What did those guys show you? They showed me that, um, that they were paying attention to their coach, Frank Pollock, and, and that they were getting themselves ready to play. Um, and, and I remember very vividly as a rookie, Tiger Johnson, my offensive line coach, said, said every week I was playing in games that, you know, he was, he was getting me experience. I wasn't starting as a rookie, but I was getting experience. Whenever he could, he would put me in a game. And sometimes he'd put me in a game where the game was still on the line, it was, there were meaningful snaps instead of mop-up duty, either up by you know two scores or more or down by two scores or more. And and he said, you know, this this process is part of getting you ready. You're one snap away from being a starting you know lineman in the National Football League, and, and we got to count on you. Your teammates are counting on you. The coach, everybody's counting on you. So I I know what that's like when you're not necessarily getting. You know, tons of snaps on game day other than special teams and a few snaps here and there. Um, I know what that can be like. And in, in order to keep yourself ready, you really have to push yourself to keep yourself ready, both mentally and then because you, you don't get real a um, lot of snaps, particularly now the way they practice. You get no snaps. I mean, we at least had – it was never live, you know, in terms of tackling and all that, but it was pretty – they called it thumb drill where it was live at the, in the, at the line of scrimmage between offensive and defensive linemen just don't take running backs to the ground. So I would get pretty, you know, close to game speed reps going against guys like Mike Reed, you know, and, and guys like that that were like, oh, man, this is, this is a big level of football. So getting yourself as ready mentally and physically uh, and, and preparing yourself for, for all that goes with it on an everyday basis can be challenging. And – they showed that they were, they had done something when they went in there. As as Paul Brown used to say, it wasn't too big for you. You know, when you got your when you got your opportunity, you showed that you belonged. You showed that you could play in this league, and that's the first step for any any young flip, football player for sure. The Bengals have largely been healthy this year, certainly in comparison to most teams around the NFL. But the one spot where the injuries are piling up is linebacker. Jordan Evans went down. Akeem Davis Gaither went down. Logan Wilson is still out. Now Joe Bocci, unfortunately, tore, tore his ACL. You've got Jermaine Pratt and Marcus Bailey left, and then a bunch of guys who are either on the practice squad or have been picked up off waivers from other teams. Have the Bengals reached the point where it's a problem, or are they still one injury away from it being a problem? <laughs> they're, they're very uh, convinced and feel good about the guys they've got. They feel like the guys that they've got are here for a reason. Um, but let, let's think back to the Baltimore game is a great example. The 41-17 victory, the three guys that you talked about being injured, Evans, Davis Gaither, Logan Wilson, were huge in that football game. Remember, they went with that 4-4 scheme some, and they had a fourth linebacker in there. Um, and Pratt was that guy, and he was involved. They were – 
liberally using four linebackers throughout the course of that football game, the lonesome uh, soldier left is Pratt. So, man, the linebackers were instrumental in what Lou Anarumo devised with his assistance to, to stop Lamar Jackson and, and leverage, you know, the quarterback with a down lineman and a linebacker, two linebackers, whatever the case may be. Mark Andrews leveraging him with a linebacker and a safety. Or, so those linebackers were big in the in the uh, overall result of that football game, winning by 24 points. And they could all run, you know. I mean, that's that's the thing. So will Luana Rumo have to tweak what he did, how he did it, who he's doing it with? Obviously, he's going to have to tweak who he's doing it with. But I'm saying, will it be another position group? Will more safeties be involved in the package than linebackers? Um, you know, you get long rangey safeties that uh, that can that can be a factor. I mean, Michael Thomas has got some some length and some range to him. Trey Flowers at corner, they've played him on tight end some. You know, he may be a guy that's uh, in a package uh, covering Mark Andrews, not solo, maybe some solo. It's, it's going to be interesting to see what, what Lou Anarumo does, what he and his coaching staff cook up, because uh, – <laughs> It, it, it's not going to be the exact same recipe because they don't have the exact same ingredients. So they're, they're making a little uh, alteration mm-hmm. to, the, to the recipe as, as they get ready for this one. Let's look at the other side of the ball. In that first game, Joe Burrow threw for 416 yards, and that was at the end of the third quarter. He didn't even have to complete a pass in the fourth. What, if anything, can they take from that game and use in game two? Well, the one thing that, that happened in that football game that was stunning with the explosives. I mean, the Bengals went minus one. They had the only turnover. The Ravens did not have a turnover, played in Baltimore, had 41 hung on them and lost by 24 points. I mean, that just doesn't even compute. That, that's not the Ravens that, you know, you know and, uh, and you've seen execute over the, over the years. So the big component in that was the explosives, an 82-yard touchdown, a 50-plus-yard uh, touchdown catch by C.J., um, P. Ryan goes 46. Mixon goes 21. That's that's in the fourth quarter. That's when they start pulling away. So, I mean, they had like nine explosives of 30 yards or more in that football game. Crazy. And I, I don't think you can expect to duplicate that. I, I just don't see that happening twice. I mean, well over 500 yards offense and 41 points against uh, against that football team. It was, it was um, a case of Murphy's Law. For them, if it could go wrong, it did, and it uh, it snowballed on them. And I think they're going to be a much different uh, defensive unit and a much different mindset and a much different football team. I mean, honestly, I remember I was stunned, Dan, when in the fourth quarter their fans started leaving. The place emptied out, and they looked like they weren't interested in finishing the football game. I mean, they, they did not play uh, Raven football. You know, in that fourth quarter, I was like, wow, my jaw was dropping over what I was seeing out there. So... I think that they're going to watch that tape. And like I said, uh, when, when you're prideful, it's like you don't want to have that kind of tape out there going around the league. So I, I, I think they're going to be coming back with a vengeance. I, I think they're going to play extremely hard in this football game. And I, I'm, the Bengals are too. And I'm not saying that you know that the Bengals can't match that intensity. They're going to have to, though. They're going to have to because I, in my mind, I'm not saying they're going to be desperate. They're going to be playing with desperation. But – an acute sense of urgency, <laughs> let's put it that way, no question about it. 
I've always liked and respected John Harbaugh going back to when he was the assistant head coach at the University of Cincinnati under Rick Minter. But it's gone up a notch, my respect level for him this year, because of the injuries. Lamar Jackson's missed the last game and a half. You look at the guys on injured reserve, it's like an all-star team. Ronnie Stanley, Marcus Peters, J.K. Dobbins, the list goes on and on. How are they doing it? tell you, you really have to tip your cap to that entire organization because they've got a lot of players, depth at positions where they have the type of person that can play and execute the scheme that they've got out there. You know, you, you look at the quarterback position. I mean, you know, it's it's not like they've gone from they've gone from an, a freakish athlete. I mean, there, there's no question about it. But this kid Huntley, Tyler Huntley's a good athlete. He he was all Pac-12, and and he's he's not um, he's a poor man's Lamar Jackson, I guess to an extent. But it's not like usually when you have a quarterback like like Lamar Jackson, if he goes down, you're installing almost another offense. They don't have to. Mm -hmm. They can stay with the exact same. So they they, they have pieces to the puzzle, multiple pieces. One goes, they can replace with another piece of the puzzle. Well, they don't have to overhaul everything. And it's like, oh, now we can't do this. We have to eliminate this package. We have to eliminate that package. That's the thing that I think is, uh, is, is very, very praiseworthy is they know who they are, they know what they do, and the organization, uh, personnel department, everybody gets players for the coaches that fit all of that, and then the coaches coach them and develop them. And, man, there's nothing more satisfying to a coach, and I've heard many coaches over the years, you know, when I was playing and now doing the broadcast stuff, one of their biggest feel-good deals is you develop a player, he gets a chance, and it's like, hmm, I was right. He can do it. There's nothing better than that for coaches to say, I knew he could. I thought he could anyway. Now I know he can, and that's that's a real good feeling. Now we can depend on him, and that's what the Ravens have going on. They've, they've got guys not just next man up, but next man up and continue to play at a high level for as long a period of time as it's going to take. Um, you know, I, I, think a, I think a real good example is instead of eliminating a package, now they decreased it. When Ricard went down, they, de- they decreased it because Nick Boyle was down as well. But as soon as Nick Boyle came back healthy, they have Nick Boyle lining up and doing the things that Ricard was doing, fullback, wingback, all that sort of thing, another big body guy. So it's like we have, we have pieces we can move around. We don't have to junk our entire uh, system. You know, we, we can still attack people the way we've done it and the way we've done it successfully with the pieces that we have left. So that's what John Harbaugh and his staff have done. Let's talk about Zach Taylor and the Bengals staff. They're tied for first with three games to go. What stands out about the job Zach and his staff have done this year? You know, I, I think the steadiness of the whole thing, and you, you say it again, all this stuff sounds trite, but having been through it, it's easier said than done. Everybody talks about doing it, but when you lose a, a brutally tough football game, you can't hit the basement or lower. You know, you just you can't allow yourself to collapse like that emotionally. And they've done a really good job of not letting that happen. When you beat the Baltimore Ravens 41-17, you can't think, <laughs> we're the greatest thing since, you know, whipped cream. You know, this is unbelievable. The truth is, and I believe in this axiom, you're never as good as you think you are. You're never as bad as you think you are. You are definitely somewhere in between. And if you can realize 
on a week-by-week -week basis, if you can stay at that, not have huge peaks and valleys, ups and downs, highs and lows, if you can be, you know, very consistent uh, with your approach, with your level of play, then coaches realize what to expect from players, players realize what to expect from coaches, and I think the consistency of performance, you know, is, is, is the byproduct. And, and I do think that for the most part, they, they, have been, they have been pretty consistent. Now, you know, it's some games in the National Football League, you're going <laughs> to – the Bears going to get you and you're going to get the Bear. You, you're going to get outplayed, and uh, sometimes you're going to outplay others. In the National Football League, my experience in the league was these guys are all so good, everybody's capable of making plays. Usually more games are lost than are won. You have to make – plays but you can, you have to avoid the catastrophe and when you don't avoid the catastrophe it, it shows you it's ugly you know you, you got trouble if you avoid catastrophe and just hang in there and make plays at some point it's going to come down to the very end of the football game and the guy that makes the last play wins and that's how most games a high percentage of games in the national football league are decided by a touchdown or less for that very reason and um so it's <laughs> you just you just don't want to Put, put yourself in, in, a, in a situation that's impossible to recover from with some kind of deep, inflicted wound. <laughs> One more coaching question. In his Football Morning in America column on Monday, Peter King mentioned the possibility of Marvin Lewis becoming the next head coach in Jacksonville. What do you think? Makes pretty good sense, really. You know, one, one thing that, that Marvin Lewis can do and has done and will continue to do is be a stabilizing influence. He, he calms everything down. You know, he, he really does. Um, and we talk about that even keel approach. That, that's, that's Marvin Lewis to a T. Um, and he, he understands football. He understands what he wants, um, how his, he, he wants the game to be played with him as a head coach. And, and it, it works in the National Football League. Five straight playoff appearances here in Cincinnati. I mean, that's, that's a pretty good testament. Now, obviously, it didn't work in the playoff games, didn't win a playoff game, lost seven of them, but got there five straight times, franchise record. Um, you know, his, his mindset, he is, he is like a defensive mindset. There's no question about it. And that his whole thing is play sound offensively. Don't put, your, uh, don't put the ball in jeopardy. Don't put your defense in jeopardy. Defense play good, solid football. Wait for the others to make a mistake. You know, he's, he's Vic Fangio. Marvin Lewis, they have the same type of mentality. Always we've got to win the turnover battle. I mean, all he looked at, first thing he looked at when the NFL stat sheet came out was turnover ratio to the beginning of every single week. So, um, you know, he, he did a good job in, in, in the Bengals drafting Carson Palmer and him being the coach that uh, developed Carson Palmer in his early stages. He'd have the same opportunity, you know, down there. Um, Marvin Lewis is highly regarded. He'd be able to put together a pretty good coaching staff, I think, mm -hmm. still. So um, it, it makes it makes a lot of sense, uh, and I think he'd like the weather down there in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> but he is still with Arizona State. He's got property in Arizona. His wife loves Arizona. Uh, it'll be it would be interesting to see. But I'll tell you what, they could make a lot worse decisions down there than hiring Marvin Lewis. I can tell you that by a wide, wide margin.
I hope he gets it. I'd love to see him get one more opportunity. Yep, and I think he, I think he'd take it too. I think he, I think he'd like to. I, yeah. I think he'd like one more shot. He's plenty young enough. Plenty young enough. Yep. Lap and I will have a special Christmas Eve edition of the Bengals Pep Rally Show coming up on Friday afternoon from three to six on ESPN fifteen thirty, or you can find it on the iHeart Media app by searching for ESPN fifteen thirty. Last but not least, it's time for this week's Know the Foe segment, and our Ravens expert is University of Cincinnati Hall of Famer Brad Jackson. Brad played football at UC for Rick Minter and basketball for Bob Huggins before winning a Super Bowl as a Ravens linebacker under defensive coordinator Marvin Lewis. Brad joined Lap and Me this week on the Bengals Game Plan Show. So let's talk about the Ravens. I got to tell you, Brad, they've earned my respect even more than ever this year because the injury situation is ridiculous. Lamar Jackson's missed the last game and a half. Ronnie Stanley's been out. They lost their top three running backs in training camp. They've got two Pro Bowl cornerbacks who are both on injured reserve. How is this team still tied for first place considering the casualties that they've had to deal with on that roster? I think you have to look at that the parity in the in the NFL, especially in the AFC. Uh, you guys out there in Cincinnati, you know, you kind of have a big win here way back in October, blow out the Ravens, which kind of shocked everybody. I mean, people, we had to take people's shoelaces and belts for a week out here after that loss, <laughs> you know, the last time I spoke with you guys. And, uh, you know, the way Joe Burrow played, obviously, and Jamar Chase having, you know, 200-yard-plus day. Um, so it was one of those things that it kind of – set the guys back a little bit to say you're not as good as you thought you were. You were just going to coast through. This isn't the same old Bengals, you know, so to speak. And, and we know that. You kind of see it. But when they had one five in a row, you know, you and this is still relatively a young team, they're kind of like, oh, we're coasting along, you know. And so I think between the Browns having their issues, you know, you guys down there in Cincinnati and the Bengals not being able to kind of get that one or two extra wins, obviously, you know, people out here are – you know, talking about Coach Harbaugh's decisions, you know, two of the last three weeks in Pittsburgh on the road and obviously at home to go for two-point conversions versus use the best kicker in the National Football League to tie up the game and go into overtime. You know, the, one of those two could have went either way. Now you have a two-game lead. And, and quite honestly, guys, considering if you look at what happened the first six games and to where we are now, once the Ravens came out of the bye and went to Miami – and then on that Thursday night game, you know, they laid an egg and lost 22 to 10. The Dolphins, and give them credit, kind of put a playbook out there. And you guys both know this from covering, covering the game. Once, that, once that's out there, it's a copycat league. And so you're seeing variations of that. And unfortunately, offensively, they haven't been able to overcome and make the adjustments needed at key moments and times. And then quite frankly, you know, we look at Lamar. And, and he's dealing with some injuries in the ankle and so on and so forth the last couple of games. But his first six games, he had five interceptions and 16 sacks. And they talked about at the bye kind of getting those numbers down. But then they come out of the bye, and Lamar in the last six games has had eight interceptions and 22 sacks. So he's almost quite came close to doubling those numbers up. And right now he has 38 sacks on a year and 13 interceptions. So they're turning the football over, taking untimely sacks, have become a problem. Um, And then, you know, Coach Harbaugh has done a fantastic job, I I will give him credit for, and being able of 
making sure that the next guy up, and we hear it, it's coach's cliche, next man up, nonsense. Well, it truly is here. You know, I had a chance to talk to Wink Martindale, as we all know, who's from Dayton, uh, and as the defense coordinator here in Baltimore, and obviously was at the University of Cincinnati also. And I talked to him Sunday night, and, you know, he's, he's got guys out there that they're, they're literally taking them off the practice squad on Sunday morning. So you had a corner that's out there guarding, you know, uh, the Packers' best wide receiver, Devontae, and he literally was on a practice squad until Sunday morning. They had to call and say, hey, come down to the stadium. You're starting. So, I mean, that's, that's the situation it's been, you know, especially for Chris Hewitt, you know, former Bearcat and the defensive backs coach and the second and the passing game coordinator. You know, him and Wink Martindale, they're going ball like me right now because, you know, having to have the stress of, you know, who's going to play at corner, nickel, safety. I mean, they're literally, you know, for lack of a better analogy, they're literally pulling guys out the stands you know, and trying to get them to go out there and play football at a high level of time at the most important time. And unfortunately right now, that's why the Ravens have sat here in the month of December and have lost three in a row. And you can't make the playoffs losing three games in the month of December. That's just not going to happen. And if they somehow don't find a way on the road in a nasty natty um, this Sunday, uh, it, it could be, you know, lights out for the playoffs this year for the Ravens. You know, what you're talking about makes this um, total sense to me now is so many struggles on the back end, and you just confirmed a lot of it, read, read a lot of it, but to hear it from you, it's even more shocking. This team's number one in the National Football League stopping the run defensively, 86.2 yards a game, number one. Usually that means, you know, you have the right to rush the passer. It means a lot of turnovers. It means a lot of interceptions. They've got six interceptions tied for third fewest in the National Football League. Eleven takeaways tied for second fewest in the National Football League in 14 games. That is so unRaven-like, you know. And and I'm I'm thinking, you know, the passing numbers they're having trouble, you know, stopping the pass. Obviously, it's just personnel, right? I mean, what can you do? Do you think that Wink will blink a little bit? Do you think Wink will use all his different sophisticated pressure packages, or do you think he will follow? what other teams have done here against the Bengals and play soft zone, play coverage, play soft zone, and, uh, and make the Bengals earn uh, every play. Because in the first game, explosives killed the Ravens. The Bengals had like nine plays of 30 yards or more, an 82-yard touchdown pass, you know, a 46-yard touchdown run, a 55-yard touchdown pass. They, they didn't tackle well. Do you think Wink will blink, or do you think Wink's going to do what Wink does? to do what Wink does, and, and and that being said, he's also not a fool. So he's also going to look at, okay, they, they hung 41 on us here in Baltimore, um, and as you said, the explosive plays, it, it, it was like going on an Oprah Winfrey show because everybody was getting an explosive 20-plus <laughs> yard catch or run, it seemed like that game. Um, yeah. So I look forward to Wink and being a part of the system and, and understanding how he does things. I think he'll he'll pick his spots a little more methodic, you know, uh, methodically uh, yeah. as far as when he's going to apply the pressure. But you also have to understand that that game plan it didn't work. But they'll go back, and you guys know this. They'll take out what did work uh, because up until what the third or fourth quarter, it still was a good football game, and then they gave yeah. up. I think it was what fourteen in, in, in the fourth quarter or whatever it was. Yep. And yep. you talked about those explosive plays. And I think, to me, one of the biggest explosive plays, obviously, Jamar Chase had a huge day. He went eight for, what, 201 or something like that. 
But the guy that really hurt them the most was the tight end, CJ. Uh, CJ Uzuma, your kid out there, was he was three for 91. And in the games that we talked about this last time, I know you guys may or may not remember, we talked about controlling Mark Andrews, the Ravens tight end. And in the games that the Bengals had had success prior to that, when you went back to 2018 when Mark got here, the games that he had basically four or less catches, they ended up winning the game and had a lot of success. Well, if you look back at the last game, you know, that Mark Andrews had uh, against you guys, he was three for 48 in, in that week. So that kind of eliminated and taken away Lamar Jackson's safety blanket uh, and that being Mark Andrews. And then, of course, eliminating Hollywood Brown also helped out the defense where you eliminate his two guys. I mean, when you look at the numbers, guys, you look at Mark Andrews leads the teams with 122 targets. Hollywood Brown, Marquise Brown, leads the team with 121 targets. There isn't anybody else on this team that has 50 targets. So if you're a defensive coordinator, you sit there and say, wow, if we can keep Superman in the phone booth, not let him get out, not let him get those explosive plays when he starts to break down the pocket, and then if we can take away the tight end of Marquise Brown, you're looking at you giving yourself an opportunity to get those sacks, which is why, as, we, as I just alluded to, in the last six games, he's got 22 sacks because the other people aren't getting open. The other people haven't been able to make plays because they're so heavy focused on stopping Andrews or throwing the ball to Andrews and throwing the ball to Marquise Brown. That's been part of the frustration for a lot of fans and a lot of people here is that development of, of spreading the ball around for this offense hasn't occurred. And then, of course, when you find yourself in situations of not running the ball, that's putting a lot of pressure on offensive coordinator Greg Roman. Do you think Lamar Jackson will be back on Sunday? I personally do think so, uh, Dan. I, I think that a lot of people were questioning whether he played against the Packers. They kind of looked at it and said, okay, we got, you know, three guys that we just picked up off the street, you know, playing in the secondary against maybe one of the top two passers of this era, along with Tom Brady, obviously. Um, and then I think they kind of said, okay, it's the NFC game. If we lose the game, we still have an opportunity. We still have to win the game because you, the Ravens finish up with you guys out there in Cincinnati, and then they got the Los Angeles Rams, and then they got the Pittsburgh Steelers. We all know it could come down to that final week for the, for the whole AFC North, which obviously NFL would be excited about and probably fans would be stressed out about. But, you know, I personally think that Lamar – they sat him last week um, and just having talking to people with that this is the week that they know. If they do not win this game versus the Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday at 1 o'clock out in the Queen City, that is going to put a severe damper and opportunity for, to make the playoffs this year, which, which will be very, very disappointing. Obviously, heads will probably roll out here because that's unacceptable. So um, when you look at that, I think he will play, even though Huntley has played well. You know, obviously he had a, he had a really good game against the Packers. He's done really really well. He's more of a ball spreader. He doesn't take as many deep shots. Um, but Huntley is a guy that has played very well. You know, completing seventy one percent of his passes and also has the ability to run the ball. So he's a, he's a little better passer than Lamar. Both of them kind of athletic, not as fast as Lamar, but very very athletic and very very quick. And uh, they're both from the same area in Broward County, Fort Lauderdale. So. You know, between Tyler Huntley and Lamar Jackson, you're going to get pretty much the same thing other than Lamar likes to take a little more shots downfield. And if that ankle isn't 100%, that would be beneficial to the defense. But I fully expect after two weeks Lamar to be out there 
because this is the most important game of the season. And not just because it's the next game, this really is your last opportunity to maybe win this division title. You know, if, uh, if Lamar comes back, uh, you have that 11-on-11 running game again with, with that quarterback. And my two question, my question on a couple of players, Ricard and Boyle, um, to me, when, when the big 300-pound fullback was out and they had to minimize that package, it was a different running game. And, and, and then Boyle was out, and then Boyle comes back, to, and they put him in that, in that role. Are those two guys going to be able to play? Because they were limited today in practice. If they're able to play, it becomes a whole different dynamic with that running game. What, what's the thought there? Uh, Pat Ricard and obviously Nick Boyle, the tight end. I think both of those guys will be out there playing. I think today was kind of just a day, which, which we've seen throughout the season with Coach Harbaugh. Being an extra long year, obviously, gentlemen, as you guys know this, with the extra game, the extra week of practice, that this has been kind of like you got to kind of manage guys' injuries. Nick Boyle missed most of the season, so it's not unusual for him to kind of maybe take a rest day. But I fully expect those guys. This is an all-hands-on-deck game. I mean, you know, they can try to underplay it and, and, and try not to overstate it in, in the press conferences and Zoom calls and all that nonsense. But the feeling here in Baltimore amongst the fans, amongst the people, amongst those inside the building, you can kind of get that, that same feeling uh, in talking with coaches and talking with people and, you know, just, just the whole mentality and the attitude is that this is a must-win game. And it, and it truly is because it's the next game, but we all know you only need to be 1-0 every week. That's the goal. But this game right here uh, is extremely huge, and especially where the Bengals came here into Baltimore and basically took the Ravens behind the woodshed. So um, this is an important game, obviously, because it's an AFC game and a division game. Uh, but if you don't win this game, I think this, for both teams, it kind of really hinders their opportunities not saying it's done and over with, but for the Ravens, you have the Rams coming in here, and then you may have to, you know, finish up with Pittsburgh. You know, we all know what that's like. You know, you guys have your battles with Pittsburgh. Obviously, the Ravens have their battles. You don't want to come down and have to Ben Roethlisberger having one shiny moment in what they're calling, you know, his walk-off year. So, um, you know, it's, it's extremely tough, but those guys I expect to play. I expect it to be all hands on deck. Heck, if they find enough money for me, you may see old 50 out there running around <laughs> doing something. <laughs> Sunday's game kicks off at 1 o'clock, and the Bengals are favored by 3. As for the rest of the AFC North, Cleveland is a 7.5-point underdog at Green Bay on Christmas Day. Pittsburgh is an 8.5-point underdog at Kansas City on Sunday. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play next-level fantasy football game. Download it now from the App Store and Google Play. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.